That is ridiculous. I love it. Thank you, Dave, for that. Man, it's good to see you guys. How's everybody doing? So this is like day two or day three for you guys here? Day two. Okay. Well, dude, it's, I just showed up, so I'm stoked to hang with you guys. Uh, my name's Joel, and, uh, well, I can see myself right here. How's my hair, dude? You can tell when my wife's not around because I just let it all go, dude. So my wife's home with our kids. She's, she was bummed she couldn't be here with you guys. But, um, hey, let's just pray. Let's just get after it this morning. Um, dude, I'm so stoked that your, your theme for uh, this conference is transformation. So cool that um, Kirk made that video for, uh, about Jana. And, uh, oh, my gosh, dude. If you guys, anybody here know Jana Mayan before she was a Christian? It kind of dates you. She's, she's been around snowboarding a long time, but... That chick is gnarly, dude. Like, she's so heavy. Like, she would close down bars with dudes, and she would, I mean, she was just, she's scary. Like, um, so for my job, I, I make um, snowboard movies and, uh, and, and hang, get to hang out with professional snowboarders like Jana and a bunch of others. And when I first hung out with Jana, I was scared for my life, dude. She's like, I thought she was going to eat me and kill me. <laughs> She's, I'm like, I can't believe we're hanging with Jana Mine. I can't believe she's a Christian. I didn't believe it, but God is good. That's the deal. God is good, and he's eager, and he's willing to transform your life if you let him. So let's pray, and let's, let's dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just an opportunity to hear from you. God, I pray that um, during this time, Lord, that you would ordain my thoughts and anoint my lips as, as we point to your Holy Scripture. We thank you that, God, that your word this morning is alive and active, it's not dead. It's not some book that we just, just happen to carry around, God. It's, it's life. And so, God, would you, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, it would come alive this morning. God, we're tired of apathetic Christianity. We want to be transformed. We're, we, we're, we're smart enough to see that, that Christianity, how it's working today is not working. It's not changing the world as you change the world. And so, God, I pray that, that you would begin to speak to us, that we would desire to be transformed. God, that you, would, um, that you would get all the glory this morning. We just, dude, we just love you this morning. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. If you guys have your Bibles, please open to Isaiah 6. And uh, are you guys familiar with the book of Isaiah? Dude, it's heavy. It's the gnarliest book in the Old Testament. You ready for this? Like, this isn't like, this isn't like corny Christianity coming from, Christ- from Isaiah. Look at this, you know, like, you, t- you, you talk to people all the time, especially me, I, I travel a lot on airplanes, I, get a, I sit down next to people and they ask me what I do, and I'm always, like, bummed when they ask me that question, because i got to explain to them that I make Christian snowboard movies, which doesn't make any sense, and uh, requires a lot of explanation. So as soon as they, I let people know I'm a Christian, like, people have questions, they want to know, they want to talk about the Lord, they want to talk about why they don't believe in Him, or why they do, and all this stuff, and and one of the number one things I always hear as a Christian is that, dude, Christianity is for the weak. That God is, he's, he's, for, he's for weak people, man. He's, he's not, he's not, I don't know, he's, he's just, I don't know. God's just, he's, he's too much. I, 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 can't, I can't buy into it. I think, I think, I don't think that, I don't think that aligns with scripture. Check this out in, in Isaiah 1.18, just to get a flavor for the book. Listen to this, it says this. Isaiah 1.18 says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. It says this, that God is saying, hey, let's be reasonable. I like that. Oftentimes people think God is just like this dictator. He's like, gnarly, he sets all the rules and you got to obey. Dude, he says, come on, let's be reasonable together. 
It says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be white like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But then it says this, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord is spoken. That's not for pansies. That's the real deal. God's basically saying this this morning. He's like, listen, you want to follow me? You want to be what I'm about? If you're willing and obedient, you'll get the best that I have for you. You'll get the transformation. You'll get all this stuff. But if you, re- if you rebel and refuse, you'll be devoured by the sword. What are your options? God's cool. He's like, you pick, man. He's like, you decide. It's up to you. And so the book carries on that theme. Isaiah's a gnarly dude. The guy ended up being martyred by like, they, they stuffed him in a hollow log and then they sawed him in half. This guy's hardcore, okay? This isn't like some Michael W. Smith, like cheesy Christian dude, okay? Did I just diss Michael Dub? I'm sorry, Michael Dub. I actually do that a lot, and my brother got me a Michael W. Smith shirt for Christmas. I almost wore it today, but I didn't want to be laughed out of the arena. Okay. I love Michael Dub, dude. I think he's a good guy. I just always tease him for, for being Michael Dub. Okay, my. Isaiah 6, we're going to pick up, dude. We're going to get to know Isaiah here. We're going to see uh, an encounter that Isaiah has. We're going to see transformation unfold. And it's a beautiful story, man. It's one that I've been chewing on for a couple months now and just trying to get the the gist of it, dude. And I, I love it. It says this, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I, have, and I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew uh, to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away from you, and your sin is forgiven. Remember, we just, we just read that in, in, in chapter 1. It says, and so it continues. It says, though your sins are as scarlet, it will be white as snow. We see that in verse 7. Continues verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And then the Lord says, Okay, cool, we can go. And it continues, the, the, the chapter plays out. Well, basically like this mission impossible dealing with Israel. And it's all, it's all Old Testament, so we won't hang out there too long. But getting back to it, we want to look at the reality of what took place in Isaiah's life. And so as I look around, I see a room full of Christians, I think, great. But I think this, that if, if, if we just go on living the American Christian life, I think we're missing it completely. I think we're blowing it as Christians if we just continue status quo. And I believe all the youth pastors here would agree with me. That we and our passion and our desire, and not only our passion and our desire as leaders, but God's passion, his desire for your heart this morning is that you would be transformed completely into the image of a son, that you would, that you would ultimately 
be placed in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at that in a minute. But this idea of being transformed is something that we as Christians today, we ignore because ultimately we don't want to be transformed. We're cool with our sin. We're cool with just like, you know, like doing what we want. And you know what? Our flesh is completely stoked. And it's okay with the fact that we can just dress ourselves up in religiosity and go to youth group and go to church and wear the Michael W. Smith t-shirt. But God's saying, dude, I want more because this life that I talked to you about in Isaiah 1, this promises that he who has Jesus has life in 1 John. This promise of having the abundant life deals with abundant things. And today, Christianity, it's a safety net. It's to be safe. It's to be removed from the world. It's to be, it's to be all these things that just don't add up to the gospel message that I read and I see. And so as I've been chewing on this and as God has been transforming my life recently, I've noticed this simple fact that God desires everything I have. I can't hold back on anything. And so here we see a picture that the end result is Isaiah saying, dude, God, here am I, send me. I'll go wherever, I'll do whatever. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll be obedient and I'll go. And God tries to talk him out of it. He's like, dude, okay, it's Israel and it's gnarly. And in fact, your ministry is going to result in people actually hardening their hearts. They're not even going to be stoked on me. They're not going to be stoked on God. They're going to be more bummed on me because of you. And he's like, well, how long do I have to do this? He's like, for a long time. That's the end result. So let's take a look. Verse one, it says this. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Here's his encounter, dude. It's life-changing. It's not Christianity 101. Dude, this is like life-changing stuff. He saw the Lord. How cool is that? Step one, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Basically saying this, like the train of a robe is a, is a symbol. Like if you had a had train on your robe, like you, know, like, you know, like when a chick gets married and her things like goes long, you know what I mean? And the bridesmaids like have to cruise and like fix it all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Well, when I got married, yes, I'm actually married. Here's my wedding wing proof. I know I'm ugly, but I seriously conned this chick into marrying me. It was so rad. And, uh, <coughs> and uh, yeah, so then we got married, and then um, it was rad. Once you get married, you can have sex. And so we, had two, we have two kids, and so that's rad. So, yeah, even ugly people, dude, you get to score. It's biblical. It's rad. So they couldn't be here this morning, and they're bummed. But when we got married, it's true. It's, it's a fact. I did get married. Like my wife, she had this amazing dress on, and it was like really long. And what it meant is that she didn't have to do anything all day. Like she was like the princess. Like she, she was the queen, dude. Like she didn't have to work. And so this is, this is Old Testament symbolism of saying God is, he's the man, dude. He's set apart. And so Isaiah sees this. He sees how good and how magnificent God is. Have you ever seen God in this light? Have you? That's my question. Have you ever seen God in this light? It goes on. It says, Seraphim, these like gnarly angel things, stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. You see, we sing this and we say these things all the time. It's like Christianese, man. But these word holy means separate. It means, God, you are separate. You're removed. You are so good. You're the king of the universe. You created the universe. You're the almighty God. 
And his eyes, you can just see it start to like open up. And he's seeing God and he's hearing God. He's having this encounter that's absolutely phenomenal. In verse 4, it continues and says this. And the foundations of the threshold trembled. Why did they tremble? The reality of who God is. And when he's saying separate, holy, 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 it says it three times. It's unbelievable to me because I just treat God like he's my BFF sometimes, right? We treat God like that sometimes. We're like, yeah, two footprints is walking in the sand, and now there's only one footprint. And God's like our homeboy. Remember those t-shirts and hats? God's our, our best friend and all that stuff. And yeah, he is, but he's also holy, holy, holy. His, his train of his robe fills the whole room. Like this God is almighty, and we need to understand that. Isaiah sees this, and the threshold trembles at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. No, nothing was on fire. God wasn't smoking a cig. It's this idea that he, uh, this, it's, it's dealing with the altar of incense here. And then it says this, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because of seeing God and because of hearing God, he says the end result of that is, dude, I am ruined. In fact, I tend to look at it this way. I choose to look at it this way, that he was basically paralyzed with awe. Has that ever happened to you in your Christian life? Dude, I remember the first time it happened to me, I was in Cannon Beach, Oregon, just out Highway 26. I moved there when I was 18 years old. I had a snowboard accident. Snowboarding was my God. It was everything to me. And when it was taken from me in a snowboard accident, I moved to the beach, and that's where I encountered God for the first time. And I remember encountering him and hearing his voice through his word and, and seeing his creation that screamed out to God. And I remember just going, dude, I just was paralyzed with awe. Can you remember the last time that happened to you? Here's Isaiah in this state just going, dude, I am ruined. For the rest of my life, I'm ruined. I've seen the Lord, dude. I've seen how good he is. Dude, what did you guys get for Christmas? Anybody get anything rad? A camera. A camera? Cool. What else? Anybody get anything awesome? You got a what? You got cool t-shirts? Sweet. Dude. Legos? That's cool. My three-year-old son did too. That's awesome. You guys should have a play date. That's awesome. Um, but my son Liam, dude, it's so fun. He's like three and he's just like, Christmas is like on for him, dude. He's like two. It was like, cool. Like I, he didn't really understand how to unwrap. Now he's like, just like stuff. Like he's this little sinner is just has been born. He's so greedy. And like, he's like, oh, cool. Next. And he's just like, he's a full sinner, dude. He's my son. It's awesome. And he needs a savior. And so and so I remember, though, just having a flashback to getting cool toys for Christmas. Because now I'm old, and I seriously got running socks and a Michael W. Smith for Christmas. I'm like, what happened, dude? Bum. Whoa, dude. What was that? It's like Isaiah, this kind of stuff. That's like Old Testament. But I remember when it was like 1985. Anybody around then? Okay, none of you. Cool. Leaders. I remember, do you guys remember? This is like old school museum piece, but like, Nintendo Entertainment System, NES. The original, dude, the original. I remember like all my friends were starting to get it and it was like out and like you weren't like, it wasn't anything, unless, you weren't anybody unless you had a Nintendo. And I just remember, dude, I wanted one so bad, so bad. And Christmas came and I remember opening up all my presents and then you, you're kind of bombed on ones that aren't shaped like what you really want. You know, it's like a long tube, you're like, 
lame, dude. It's like a Michael W. Smith poster probably, you know, and you're like, dang it. And, you know, and then you get all this stuff and then, dude, it came down to where like there's only a couple presents left and you're like, oh, you're so disappointed and nothing. And I'm just like, dude, my life's over. Like, I seriously, like, there's no reason to live. I can't have duck hunt. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm eight years old and I can't play duck hunt. And uh, I remember just going through that and my dad goes, <laughs> well, what do we have here? Like behind a cushion, you know, after I'm fully disappointed. It was like, what's that Christmas story? Remember that? It was kind of like that. He got the BB gun. Oh, what's back here? And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm just like, but my blood, my heart started like palpitate. I'm like freaking. I'm like, well, what, what is it? You know, like, and I, I, I open it up and it's like, there it was, dude. Mario and Luigi looking right back at me, dude. <laughs> And I remember just being like paralyzed with awe, like going, oh, I couldn't even like do anything. I'm like, oh, I'm eight years old. I can't move. I'm so stoked right now, right? This is Isaiah, but like times 10, times 100. Like when you come into encounter the almighty God, it paralyzes you. You can't even say anything. In fact, in biblical times when people saw the Lord, it was, it was normal for them to fall forward on their face just Boom, face plant, because you can't move. You're paralyzed with awe. And here he is, dude. This transformation's taking place in his life. And he's like, says this, I am ruined. I'm ruined. The rest of my life, man, I'm ruined. Now, if you're a non-Christian in this room, you might go, see, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be ruined. I got something going for me. No, dude, when you come face to face with God Almighty, it's like the whole world's presented for you salvation becomes a reality. It's like, dude, you're ruined. It's amazing. It says this, it continues, because I am a man of unclean lips. He's basically saying this, man, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short and I live among people of unclean lips. You see, the presence of the Lord brings about conviction. When you're like one-on-one with the Lord in your quiet times, dude, like the sin, the junk, the the trash in your life becomes evident because God doesn't want you to be burdened by it. He doesn't want you to be so easily entangled by the sin that's in your life. And he forces us to deal with it. He says this, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'll never be the same, David. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Then it goes on, it says this, one of the seraphim, one of those crazy angels, six wings, all that stuff, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away from you and your sin is forgiven. That's a great thing because God is not like, oh, come here, sinner, come here. Oh yeah, you're gonna get spanked, right? You're like getting grounded. No, he goes, dude, bring your sin here, man. I wanna deal with it, gone. I know that he chooses to forgive you of that sin, but the Bible teaches that he chooses to forget that sin, right? Like how rad is that? Just like this, dude, if I sin, right? What's your name? Josh. Josh? How's it going? I'm Joel. Okay. I just slapped Josh. For those of you who couldn't see, I just fully slapped the guy. So, 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 bro, I'm so sorry I slapped you. Like, I'm really sorry, okay? But hey, I just want to like say, right if I came near you again you would remember that you'd be like dude okay cool that you're like sorry but I'm not getting near you bro you kind of had a godly reaction though you like stood there and took the second slap most kids are like dude don't come near me weird pastor guy with 
The point is this, is that he says, dude, he doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't hold us against us. He chooses to forgive us of our sin. He chooses to forget. And we see a picture of that. Continues in verse 8, it says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so here we see that the Trinity is a real deal. And uh, we're not going to get into that, but it continues. It says, Isaiah's response is this. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll do it. I'll go. I won't stay here in my Christian bubble. I won't stay here and just pretend to be a Christian. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go and make a stupid Christian snowboard movie and go share the gospel with stupid snowboarders like all around the world? I'll do it, dude. Whatever. What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you ask. I am submitting myself to you because you are the God that I just saw, the God that I just heard, and I'm ruined. So whatever it is, dude, I'll go. That's his point. And so here we see that Isaiah saw, remember that, verses 1 and 2, that he saw the Lord. Secondly, it says that Isaiah heard. He heard the Lord. Have you heard the voice of the Lord, whether through reading scripture or just in the quietness of your meditation and just, just spending time with the Lord? You just, have you heard the voice of the Lord? So he has this encounter with God, and from that, it leads to conviction. Remember that? In verse 5, says that, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. So the presence of God brings forth conviction. And that conviction is a good thing and it leads to this. Isaiah then repents. 5b says this, and I live among people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the, the king, the Lord of hosts. Says this, that man, he's, he's repentant. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? It means, yeah, to turn. It's not this idea of just saying, dude, I'm so sorry, bro, I slapped you, but just like, no, I'm going to stand up here now because if I go down there, I'm tempted to slap you, right? (laughs) You change everything. You change your mind about sin. It means to change your mind about it. Isaiah hears you the point. He's like, dude, I'm over it. I don't want to like all that sin that like I get so attracted to, I'd start to dive into. It leads to destruction. It leads to everything wrong. So, dude, I am ruined. I no longer choose that path. I want to choose and to react and be obedient to the Lord. And it says this, that Isaiah was forgiven, verses 6 and 7. Remember the seraphim came and like touched the coal to his lips. And then he goes off in verse 7, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away from your, and your sin is forgiven. And then we see that Isaiah responds to the calling set before him. And now, let me just ask this question because most all of you are Christians here this morning, Right? No, no one's a Christian. I'm going to go, to, I'm going to share the gospel. Um, here's the thing. How many of you say, yeah, dude, I want to live for the Lord. I want to like, I want to change the world. I want to, I want to see God change my generation. How many of you would say that this morning? A few of you? How many of you say, dude, God, would you use me to do it? How many would you say this morning, God, would you use me to transform and to change a generation, to change the world? How many of you say that this morning? Raise your hands. That's awesome. That's rad. Well, let's look at this backwards for just a minute. At the end result, we see that Isaiah was used. The end result is Isaiah saying, here am I, God, send me. The end result is his calling. But dude, I don't believe that you can be called until you've been forgiven of your sin. I don't believe that you can go and, and change the world and go do something amazing for the Lord until you've really come to a place of repentance. 
I don't believe you can come to a place of repentance until you've been convicted by the Lord, right? If you just go, oh God, like, yeah, like, take, take, my, take my sins because I want to go do something rad. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is dealing with the junk that's in your life and being free from that in order to go live for the Lord. That's simply it. So I don't believe you can be called until you've been forgiven. I don't believe you can be forgiven until you've fully come to full repentance. I don't believe you can come to repentance until you're convicted. And I don't believe you can be convicted until you're in the presence of the Lord, hearing from him and seeing him. We put up so many distractions in our lives as Christians, no wonder the world's not being changed. We don't trust God. We don't believe him. And so as Isaiah goes through the whole process, as this transformation takes place, it's pretty simple. Pursue the Lord. Pursue seeing him, hearing him. Respond to conviction. Respond with repentance. And God will be quick to respond with forgiving you. And then the process continues, it moves. Oftentimes we like, it's easy to stand up here and preach, man, you need to be transformed, you need to be transformed, you need to be transformed, but how do we do that? What does that look like? I know what it looks like for me in my life. Turn to Ephesians 2, and I heard the speaker's already been hanging out here, but we're just gonna chill here for a second. Ephesians 2 is like, this is, my, this is my story. I feel like this was written just for me. Ephesians 2 is honestly, probably my favorite passage in the New Testament. And it says this, it says the story of Joel Parker. Much like Isaiah, dude, I, I've been transformed. I love the fact that I know Jesus Christ. I love the fact that I had nothing to do with it other than to respond in obedience. I love the fact that God loves me. And the older I get, the more I realize how significant it is. But in verses one through three, this is the reality of Joel Parker, Right? This is me. Check this out. And you, Joel, were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who was Satan, and is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So I can't like show up to God and say, what's up, God? I'm Joel Parker. Yeah, you created me, remember? So yeah, I like... I started this nonprofit organization. Isn't that rad? Like I, I made these snowboard videos that like led tons of people to salvation. Isn't that awesome? Pat me on the back, dude. I'm like working for you, God. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh, yeah. by the way, I'm a college pastor. Yeah, dude. I know it's hard being a college pastor. Like college kids aren't into you, but like I made it cool. So right on, pat me on the back. Yeah, dude. And oh yeah, when Haiti had the earthquake, I went, like, dude, I was there like a week after the earthquake. Yeah, dude, pat me on the back, dude. I'm like in, right? Like I'm cool with you, right? And the Lord says, no, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Joel, that's who you are. What do you mean that's who I am? You, Joel, are dead in your trespasses and sins apart from Christ Jesus. That's who you are. So feel good about all the religious things you've done. It doesn't matter. You're dead, man. It says this, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Wait a minute. I, Joel Parker, live according to Satan? Yeah. That's gnarly. Verse three, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature children of wrath, even as everyone else. See, apart from Christ Jesus, that's my hope. That's who I am. That's my reality. 
You see, but here's the transformation. You ready for this part of the story? Verse four, the two best words in the Bible, but God. See, he does the work. He did the work. In 1996, when I was out in Cannon Beach, Oregon, I received Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, but God happened. God intervened. He goes, dude, here's a little surfer punk on his way to hell. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to transform his life. And he did it. It says this, but God, being rich in his mercy with his being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when Joel was dead in his transgressions, he made Joel alive together with Christ. What does that mean? That's gnarly. And he raised Joel up with him and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's the story. Joel Parker, punk, snowboard, surfer kid. All he has to look forward to is hell. His position apart from Christ Jesus is hell. The bowels of hell. And God says this, but God intervened in his life, grabs this little punk kid by his blonde hair, grabs him out of the bowels of hell, which he deserves, and places him in the place what is reserved for Jesus Christ, a place of authority, placed in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The thing is, is that you guys don't believe that this morning. I hope some of you do. But that is transformation. Stop and think about that for just a minute. The bowels of hell in which I deserve. I can't do anything right. The Bible says that my righteousness is but filthy rags. Doesn't matter how many Christian things I speak at. Doesn't matter how many do-good things I do around the world. Doesn't matter how many snowboard films, how many people come to know the Lord. Dude, apart from Christ Jesus, nothing with Christ Jesus and his involvement snatches me from the bowels of hell, places me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why the heck would God do that? I live according to Satan. I live in the desires of my flesh. I do what I want. I'm the king of my life. And he says, dude, saving you. That's transformation I can live with. And it goes on and says this. Why would God do this? Why would he do this? Verse 7 answers that. So that in the ages to come, he might show or he might demonstrate the surpassing riches of his, of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You don't want to know why God does it? To demonstrate how good he is. You see, your transformation this morning is a demonstration that doesn't point to you, it points to God. Mike there? It doesn't, you don't get the credit, you don't get the glory for it, God does. So when people go, dude, I've known Joel, I remember him when he was like gnarly, partier, snowboarder, did whatever he want, and I see him now, I don't give credit to Joel, he's still an idiot, look at him. But God is good, man. He's good. He's transformed that dude's life. And by God's grace, man, keep Joel in a position where he stays obedient to that God who transformed his life. That's transformation. Continues to says this, very popular verse, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved or you have been transformed through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. But God, I did all these rad things. I doesn't matter. Salvation and transformation is a gift from God. That's it. That's it. Simply it. You don't have, you respond in faith, that's it. Verse nine, not a result of works so that no one can boast. But God, I went to Haiti. I performed surgeries on people, dude. I did, you can't boast about it, dude. Shut your mouth. Do I need to do something with my mic? I'm fine, okay. Okay. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him so that we would walk in them. 
Here's the outflow of the obedient Christian life that has been transformed. The outflow is this, that we start walking in these good works that God places before us and has actually gone before us to do. So when I look at my life now, I go, dude, God, you're good. You allow me to like make snowboard videos, go around the world and share Jesus with snowboarders who I am. I'm a snowboarder. You allow me to do this. Why? Because he cares for snowboarders more than I ever will. He cares for the loss way more than this evangelist does. And he allows me to take part in it. That's the, that's the fruition of transformation. He goes, okay, okay, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to see it. You're going to respond. God's going to get the glory. And from that, Isaiah goes, dude, here am I, send me. And in verse 10, it's like, we are created for these good works. We're created for the mission at hand. The mission is a changed world. Not going to be the one who cha- changes it. God's going to be the one. But he wants to involve you in it because that's his heart. He says, dude, Joel, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. It's insane, man. World-changing things are great. So I look out these, these windows here. I look outside and I see a world that is in shambles. As you travel, you see, go to Africa, you see kids with AIDS, you see all these things that people tend to care about somewhat. And you need to understand this, that God cares more about all those people out there than you ever will. But he wants to involve you in the transforming of their lives. But he first wants to start with you being transformed. You've got to do it. I've got to I've got to continue to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, man. That's, that's my pursuit. Look at this for just a minute. This is gnarly. Put your seatbelt on. Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 says this. You guys like Romans? It's a great book. It's a great book, dude. And so Romans here is dealing with, Paul's kind of modus operandi here is, is theology, theology, like gnarly truths about God and all this stuff. And then he changes it about halfway through, in this case, Romans 12. He changes it to how we respond to how good God is, okay? So here in in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, therefore, now that you know everything there is to know about God, therefore you've seen him, you've heard him, you know what's up with him, here's the deal. Therefore, I urge you, or I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There's that word worship. And we go, yeah, yeah, cool, God. I totally worship, man. I like Phil Wickham. He's totally hot. He has an amazing voice. And like, he gets up here, he looks all rad. And like, when he sings awesome songs, I raise my hands and I worship. That worship is like proskuneo. That's a, that's a different type of worship that's being talked about here. This is getting into the Greek. Just hang with me just a, just a moment. But this word here, this idea of worship here is this word latreia which is this idea of laying down your life, this idea of being ruined like Isaiah was ruined and saying, God, I'm laying myself, I'm putting myself at the foot of the cross. You are free to be the Lord of my life. I will submit to you as a slave. That's what this is talking about, okay? It's talking about a life of worship. Singing songs to God, proskuneo, is beautiful, man. There's nothing more fun. There's nothing for, there's nothing more unifying as the, body of Christ to get together and worship. This morning's worship was insane, dude. So awesome. But that's not what it's talking about here. We just have to be, understand that. It's, it's a reasonable 
act of sacrifice and a reasonable act of worship because of who God is, okay? And it says this in verse two, it says, and do not be conformed to this world. It says this, don't look like the world, man. Don't look like it. How many here say, dude, when I grow up, I wanna be a conformist. No one says that, but we all end up doing it because of sin, man. It's safe, it's like comfortable, our flesh is stoked, and we end up being conformed. Everyone does. Everyone says, I'll never turn out like my parents, right? Yeah, you will someday, dude. Trust me, it happens. It says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed. Everything about conforming sucks. Everything about transformation is awesome. When I was learning how to snowboard, if you could have said, dude, I'm willing to transform you into a horrible snowboarder into a good snowboarder. I'd be like, sign me up. I want to be transformed, <laughs> right? Someone said, Joel, we can make you good looking. I'd be like, sign me up, <laughs> right? Joel, we can make you do this. Like everybody wants to be transformed. There's not one of you out here who says, no, I'm cool, man. I'm just cool with being me. No, we all long and want to be transformed. So it says this, then do it. Don't be conformed, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Okay, that's cool. So the transformation process can take place by the renewing of my mind. Then what's the outcome of that? It says it right here in verse two. So being transformed, having your mind renewed leads to so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you here has ever said, dude, I just wish I knew what God's will is. God, what's your will for my life, right? God, who am I gonna marry? I just wanna know, what's your will for my life? That's college, that's like in a couple of years. That's what I deal with all the time. God, what's your will? What, what do you, God, what's your will for my life? What job do you want me to have? What, I feel like I'm in a fork in the road and what, what way should I go? You know what I think? I don't think God cares. I don't think he cares who you marry. I don't think he cares what job you you worry about or go work at. I don't think he cares what school you go to. That's a gnarly statement, huh? I don't think he cares. Here's what I think he cares about. I think he's laid it out so simple and yet we're so stupid as Christians, we ignore it and we ignore it and we ignore it because ultimately we don't want to be transformed. We just want to pretend like we're asking to be transformed, but we don't really want to follow through with it. God, what's your will? Not that I would ever act on your will, but what is it just in case it's rad? <laughs> Who's that girl I'm supposed to marry? What job do you want? It's like an excuse to be lazy. It's an excuse to be stupid. Here's the deal. God's will is this for your life, that you would love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, that you would pursue him so that you might see him, so that you might come to a place of repentance so that you might come to a place where God can forgive you so that you might be used to prove, what does it say here? To prove what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. I think God's will is that you love your neighbor, those who are around you, more than you love yourself. But Christians, let's just be honest for a minute. We suck at that. We're horrible at it. Yeah, we can pretend in this room when everything's cool and Phil Wickham's leading worship and weird speaker guys up and they got cool Christian logos and all this stuff. Dude, we can, we can pretend to be loving, but are we really loving towards our neighbors? The Bible says to love your enemies. Those who are in direct opposition to you, do you love them? 
That's what Jesus is about. This, I'm not preaching here. I'm regurgitating because this is what God is working me over with right now. It's gnarly, dude. I'm just chewing it up and passing along. Sorry for that bad analogy. <laughs> but that's what's going on. Transformation for me, my story, it continues, man. It continues because, yeah, I want God's will. I want to love him more. I want to love others more. How do I do that? And in the process, that transformation takes place. And it happens with the renewing of our mind. How do you renew your mind? Pretty simple. You, you stay obedient to the word of God. Christians, you know we're supposed to pray, but the Bible says to pray without ceasing. When was the last day that you lived as a Christian and you, you prayed without ceasing? When was the last time you, you called God out on his promises? When was the last time that you just submitted yourself like Isaiah said, dude, I'm ruined. Here I am, Lord, send me. You see, we don't want to be transformed. We want to hang out in our muck and our mire and our sin. And we want to like, we want to, we want to just be Christian enough so that we get heaven. We get like a free pass to heaven and we get like cool friends at church, but we still want to like check out porn. We still want to like lie and cheat. We still want to be able to sleep with our boyfriends or our girlfriends. We still want to like have all the, the comforts of this world. You see, God's called you out of that because he wants the world to be changed. He doesn't want Christians to look like the world. He wants you to look like Jesus because that's your position this morning. If you're a believer, dude, your position isn't hell. Your position isn't even this world. Your position is at the right hand. It's in Christ Jesus, man. The position of authority. Start living like it, Christians. Quit being pansies. Quit being stupid. Grab your Bible and read it for once. And don't just read it because you have to or you got to do some devotion or you got an accountability partner meeting coming up and you're like, oh, I better read something quick. Quick, turn to Psalms. So you have something to talk about. Dude, start living it. Because God has proven it over and over and over and over. We could stand up here and give you a million examples of transformed lives. But the question this morning is, do you want to be transformed? That's just it. I'm going to pray right now, dude. And this is, here's the deal. It, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I'm not going to have you come forward. This is between you and God. I have no part in the equation. God says that he sees your heart. He says that if you seek, you'll find. So in the quietness of your heart this morning, as the worship band comes back out to continue in worship, I just answer the question, do you want to be transformed? If you do, you know the equation. Seek the Lord, seek his face, listen to him, communicate with him, repent, be obedient, and man up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we thank you that your heart is to transform we thank you that, God, you're not, you're not okay with things, where things are at right now in our lives. God, you're desiring to continue to change us. So thank you for that. God, continue to get radical with us. Continue to work us over. Continue to reveal yourself to us. God, we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to be obedient, Lord. Thank you for changing Isaiah's life. Thank you for changing my life. God, I thank you for changing some of these students' lives. I pray for this honest moment that as some are saying, God, do I really want to be 
obedient? Do I really want to be transformed? I pray that you'd meet each and every student in that honest moment of their hearts, Lord. God, you're a God of promises, so either we believe you or we don't. God, help us believe you this morning. So we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is episode 174 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2010 Winter Youth Celebration Transformation. This is session three with Joel Parker.